If you have your Bibles today, you can open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that's where we're going to be for the next several months. Uh, We, uh, this morning, are going to start this sermon series by looking at the supremacy of love. You know, for the Christian, love is supposed to be the, the defining characteristic of who we are, of our character, of our person, of our churches. We are to be known for our love. Unfortunately, we are oftentimes known for other things. We're known as judgmental. Uh, we're known as mean. We're, we're known as nasty. Uh, we're, we're known as rigid and uncaring. And one thing we're going to see is that oftentimes this criticism is unwarranted, and oftentimes it's right on the money. You see, when we open up this passage of Scripture and we begin to unfold this over the next few weeks, I think what we're all going to see individually and corporately is conviction. There are going to be moments of deep conviction where we have not loved as Christ intends for us to love. Love is not a feeling. It is a series of attitude and action, and oftentimes we have had poor attitudes, and oftentimes we have lacked compassionate action to back up what we say we believe and think. And that's a good thing in one sense. It's bad in that we have been wrong and there are things to be corrected. It is good if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you at some point and shakes you down a little bit and causes you to be deeply convicted and then follows that up with an empowerment both in knowledge and in terms of the will so that you might be different. So we're all going to be convicted, I pray, and I, I really sincerely believe over these next few weeks. And when you are convicted, rather than just giving yourself excuse and saying, well, nobody's perfect, I ask you to, to sit back and to take some time before God and pray and seek His face for how you need to be different and how, how we can be different. Paul begins this passage of scripture, (coughs) excuse me, kind of curiously because he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And the background to this, which helps us to understand this first verse is that the Corinthian church was embroiled in theological controversy over the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Imagine that the church since that day has never had that problem, right? There has never been a day where we have debated or we have been at at, at one another over the question of gifts of the Holy Spirit and and how those are practically lived out. Uh, You know, this church was founded in such a theological controversy. Did you know that? Uh, we've, We've had at different points in our lives as a congregation moments where we've had to repent of not showing one another the kind of love that we should And in the midst of theological controversy, that is, love that is, oftentimes is the first casualty. Jack McGorman said, in all religious controversy, love is an early casualty. And it oftentimes is. That's what was happening here in the Corinthian church. Paul looked at this church, looked at these believers, and they were believers. And they were were sincerely, they sincerely desired God and the things of God. They sincerely desired to walk with God. And yet they were embroiled in theological controversy. They were at one another's throats. And love went out the door and 
a lot of other things came in as it left. There was a lot of infighting. Now, praise God we don't have that right now, right? I mean, praise God that, that we have peace here. I don't know. One of you guys may be mad at another over something. I don't know. But I, I, I think for the most part, we're in pretty good shape, right? I, I, I mean, I think God has blessed us, and we praise God for that, and we pray for that, and we pray God to protect the unity of the body and that we will love one another. And, you know, the unity of the body is preserved quite well when we understand the supremacy of love, when we understand the right priority for this subject we're going to discuss over these next weeks, the subject of love. In light of all of this and in light of this great controversy, Paul brings it to bear. He brings a few words to bear upon it, which helps them to understand their priorities better. He says here, he says, if I could speak with the languages of earth, all the languages of earth and of angels, but don't love others, I would be as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith, I could move mountains, but didn't have love, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. All of this to say that if I was blessed with every spiritual gift and possessed them in such a way that no one had ever been blessed, no one had ever been gifted as much as I. But if I lack love, then it is of no use, of no account, and it is all good nothing. You get the point so far of what Paul's trying to say to this church embroiled in theological controversy. You can get things right and be wrong. You can have all knowledge and a perfect theology and understand all secrets. And if you lack love, you get it wrong. And if you're blessed with every gift of the Holy Spirit and you can speak in tongues and you can pray and see the sick healed and even the dead raised, but you lack love, then you're nothing. Jesus said in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this was the greatest commandment. The second greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love your neighbor as yourself. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus said, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And get this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Are, are, are you proven to be a disciple of Christ because of your church attendance? Oftentimes people want to, to prove they are believers in Christ by their faithful attendance to church every week. Others will say, I am a Christian. I have been baptized. Had family members that would say such things. I was baptized into the church. Of course I'm a Christian. And they believe that this act of baptism in and of itself means they're a Christian. It is their mark of identification. And of course, when we're baptized, it is a mark of identification. It is a testimony to what has happened in here. But the thing that really testifies to who you are and really brands you, so to speak, as a Christian is our love for our God and our love for one another. 
John wrote in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, and I put this in the King James because I memorized it in the King James and I have purpose in that, okay? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now get this part. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If we do not love... And we're going to look at what love is over these next weeks. But if we do not love, then we are not believers. The mark of a believer is love. So there is no more important subject that we could delve into this fall than this subject of love. Because it will at the same time testify to our spirit that we are actually believers in Christ. And also help us to understand how we might be a testimony to others through our love of Christ and love of one another. Now, growing up, we had a little chorus that we sang. Some of you might remember it. Some of you might know it for this verse right here. So this morning, I decided that I would take a few moments to go back in time and lead you in worship yet again, right? And so I'm not going, I didn't bother Paul with this. I didn't bother him with another song to learn. I want us to sing together this song, a cappella, okay? And, and we're going to just enjoy this moment together, all right? It goes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He who loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. I like that little tag on the end. It's nice, isn't it? Now, you may not remember anything else about this sermon, but you'll remember this right here. And you'll go home humming and singing this tune, won't you? And it'll be all worth it. And if you get nothing else, that's the main thing you needed to get anyway. The sermon is summed up in these verses quite well. The supremacy of love and the mark of the Christian life. The Christian life is to be one of love for God, fellow believers, and those who have yet to receive Christ. And our life is good for nothing. Without love. Now, this begs the question what is love? What is love? And what is Paul talking about here? Now, many of you who've been in the church for a long time, you know that there were several different words that the Greeks had for love, and that this word being used in this passage is the one called agape love. And we're going to get into that a little bit. I don't give Greek lessons here, primarily because I don't know Greek real well. I look up all my Greek online, which I think everyone should, right? Uh, I mean, there, there is just a, a too many declensions, too many things to memorize. Amen from the back pew. So, we, I'm picking on Craig's son-in-law today. He knows what I'm talking about. But some of you guys have attempted it. Some of you have looked at it. You can get a lot of great stuff online nowadays, okay? It's great. But just for a moment, I want to look at this because it is important. You see, what Paul says here when he, when he speaks of love, he is referring to something only possible by Christians as we live out our life in Christ. This is only something that we who have believed upon Christ and received Him as our Savior, and received forgiveness of our sins, are capable of. No one else is capable of this. Now, everyone is capable of that phileo love, as the Greeks called it, this brotherly love. Uh, we can, due to time and circumstance and, and convenience, be kind to someone in a moment. Uh, we can, can have that kind of companionship with someone because of our, 
our, our, our interest in some of the same things and enjoyment of some of the same things. We can be buddies with them. Uh, we're all capable of that. Everyone is capable of eros, this sexual or physical kind of love. We don't need to go into that. Everyone is capable of that in some way, form, or another, right? I mean, it's proven all around us that people find different ways to, to partake of that kind of love. But this love that he's talking about here is the agape love. And as one theologian said, he said, the word agape love seems to have been a virtually a Christian invention, a new word for a new thing. Apart from about 20 occurrences in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it is almost non-existent before the New Testament. Agape draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God in Christ. It is not a form of natural affection, however intense that may be, but a supernatural fruit of the Spirit, as we see in Galatians 5.22. It is a matter of the will rather than of feeling, for Christians must love even those they dislike, according to Matthew 5. It is the basic element of Christ-likeness. It is not natural. The love spoken in 1 Corinthians 13 is selfless. It is dying to self in order to serve others. That's what it is. The love spoken here is about the joy of obedience to Christ, the joy of serving others, and the hope of leading another to Jesus. That's what it is. See, each week we're going to tackle a new subject. Next week we're going to look at the fact that love is patient. And you may think, well, I... I don't always have patience, but there are times I have patience. But real love and Christian love is always having patience. And we'll delve into something of what that means. Because patience is more than just uh, being content to wait on your wife to finish her hair. Okay? Uh, Patience is more than just sitting patiently while she continues to thumb through the closet and figuring out what she wants to wear. Right? Uh, Patience is more than just waiting on your husband to pick up those pair of socks which still remain in the floor two days later, right? Okay, whatever that may be. So we're going to delve into what that means. It's much deeper than that. It's much more important than that. But not only that, but we're going to look at things in terms of what does it mean to be patient with God? You see, this passage of Scripture is dealing with love in a general sense, specifically to the Christian, this form of agape love. And that is the kind of love we're to have for one another and others, but it is also the kind of love which we are to express back to God. So what does it mean to be patient with God? Let me tell you something, give you a little hint, a little commercial for next week. It is much more than just sitting back and waiting contented for your prayers to be answered. It's much more than that. A whole lot more than that. And it is not something that a human being is capable of, this patience that is spoken of in this passage of Scripture, apart from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit at work within us, producing the fruit of the Spirit in us. See, when we look at love, we cannot expect the lost world, we cannot expect the non-Christian world to express love back to us as we are called to express it to them. It's just not something that we're supposed to expect. And let me tell you something, and this may be mind-blowing to some of you this morning, but God did not choose to love you because he found something in you to love. He did not choose to love you because he found something within you worthy of love. 
He has chosen to love us because he found within himself and his perfect character a motivation to love us. We are not going to demonstrate agape love, this kind of Christian love, to the world around us because of anything the world offers us or anything they do for us. We will not look all the time be patient, all the time be kind, and so on and so forth. We find it within ourselves the Spirit of God living within us, the ability to choose to love them in spite of who they are, not because of who they are. You see, the love being spoken of here goes well beyond you. If you think you're going to learn 5, 6, 8, 10, 12 things that you can do to show someone that you love them, I have something altogether different for you in these upcoming months. This will be much more life-altering than that. You see, this is a passage of Scripture that we... We quote and speak and read in various circumstances of life, especially at the altar. I mean, so many of you here today got married and this passage of scripture was read at your wedding. And it's a great one for that. And we gloss over the words and we think of these things in terms of, yes, you need to be patient with your husband. Yes, you need to be kind with your wife. Yes, you do not need to ever keep a record of wrongs. And we think that just on the surface, what the words say, that's what they mean. And that's what we need to do in order to demonstrate love. But it's much more than just all of that. It is an attitude. It is a spirit. It is a mindset. It is a heart set that only the spirit of the living God can produce within us. So when Paul is talking about love here, we go beyond just the surface of what these words may mean in the vernacular of the world around us. They mean something much more to us as believers in Christ. And it will change your life to see so. You see, Paul's talking here about a deep kind of abiding love from Christ. And he, he juxtaposes that. He takes that and, and, and places that in opposition to, to this Love the world shows. You see, that the actions, the love I put in quotes that man will show to one another. And it's interesting here, he says, if I can speak in tongues and know every language on heaven and earth but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, his hearers understood what that means. We don't necessarily understand what that means because it's not something... That's a part of our normal day-to-day conversation. But since the time of Plato, superficial orators or speakers were referred to as gongs. If you were someone who just spoke in a superficial kind of way, if you were a speaker who just offered superficial kind of language and just surface kind of language, if you went up and, and, and gave talks which were that deep, people would consider you to be a clanging gong. You're just a bunch of noise. You're not making any real difference in anyone's life. So Paul's saying you could have a lot of knowledge and a lot of understanding, but if you don't have this kind of love which only comes from the Spirit of the living God and can express those things in that love, then you're just a resounding gong. You're just a bunch of noise. Your life is a superficial kind of life. You can believe and have faith and say the right things, but absent the love of Christ, your words are hollow and without power. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of churches, and I pray we're never one, and I pray that I'm never this kind of preacher, but there are a lot of churches right now, this morning, which are filled with the noise of resounding gongs. And there are a lot of people, Christians, 
who are not walking with Christ, not walking in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit is being obviously produced in their hearts. Their life is superficial and hollow, and they are just resounding gongs. There's no power in what they say. There's no power in what they do. There's no power in how they live. They may be kind to someone, but there's no power in it. It makes no difference. It makes no impact. And let me tell you something. When that happens, it's not because the gospel has lost its power. It's not because the Holy Spirit has lost the ability to change the hearts of men. It is not anything to do with God. It is with us where the problem lies. And that we have become a resounding gong because of our lack of love. It's one of the greatest problems in the church today. People look at us and say, where's the love? And as I said earlier, some of those things are unwarranted. Folks want us to just accept every sin under the sun and call it righteousness. And if you don't do that, they say, well, you're unloving. Love is into something it's not. But oftentimes our attitudes have been unloving. We, 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 we demonstrate a lack of patience. We demonstrate a lack of kindness. We keep record of wrong. We don't forgive. And because of our attitudes, and because of our lack of compassionate action, where we say, you know, go and be well fed without giving them food. Where we say, I wish you well without offering them a hand to lift them up and help them be well. And again and again, I could go on with example after example of where we have lacked compassionate action to back up what we say. Where our attitudes have been poor and lacked any kind of resemblance to what the Spirit of God has called us to. And as a result of that, the world looks on to our message and says, there's no difference between you and everyone out there. And there's no reason to come in here and to give lip service to what you say you believe. And one of the best things ever said to me, and I mentioned this before to you, was the words that an evangelist taught me. An evangelist spoke to me in his greatest thing that you can ever do is just love the people. He said the greatest thing you can ever do as a pastor is just love the people. Just love the people, love the people, love the people. When they're hard to love, love them. When they're impossible to love, love them. When they're easy to love, love them. Just love the people. Because you see, it doesn't matter how good a speaker you might become. It doesn't matter how good a musician you might become. It doesn't matter how great a singer. It doesn't matter any of the gifts that you might have. None of those things matter if people know you don't love them. They're not going to hear a thing you have to say. They're going to be unmoved by anything you can do. But if you love them, and they know you love them, and you genuinely love them, then everything you do will have impact. Everything you do will make a difference. Everything you do and say, people take to heart. Because the Spirit of God grabs hold of everything you do in that moment. Because you're walking in Christ and the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in and through you. And it begins to make life difference. A lifetime of difference in the lives and hearts of people. They hear what you have to say. The old adage is true that people need to know you love them. And, and, and without that knowledge, they're not going to hear you. 
They need to know how much you care. You know, love is the thing that changes the world. I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus did possess all knowledge, didn't he? And, and Jesus possessed all faith and all power. He did. And Jesus was the greatest preacher who ever lived. Can we all agree on that? But he changed the world not through his teaching, preaching, or anything he ever said to anyone. Jesus changed the world by the love which accompanied his teaching, preaching, his words, and the things he did. It wasn't the preaching and teaching that changed the world. It was the love accompanied, the the love which accompanied that preaching and that teaching, which produced the greatest sermon of all, which was the cross. See, the, the actions that he performed on earth culminated in the greatest act of all, which was his hanging on the cross to die for our sins. It was the love that he had in his heart which put him there. It was the greatest act of service that was ever given to any person. The greatest act of service which could ever be demonstrated or given to any person. And it was produced by his love for us. Love saved us. And here's the kicker. God has allowed us to be a part of the change that the world needs by doing the same. You see, it's not about the talents that you have. It's not about the giftings. It's about the love that you have. And every single one of us has the opportunity and the privilege to do that. Every single one of us are filled with the Holy Spirit of the living living God, those of us who are believers in Christ. So every single one of us have the potential, according to what Galatians 5.22 says, to see the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God being spoken of in this chapter, produced in and through us. It does not matter how introverted or extroverted you are. It doesn't matter how much of a public speaker you are or not. It doesn't matter how wonderful a musician you are. It doesn't matter what you can do. It doesn't matter how great an artist you are. It doesn't matter how well you make pies. And listen, we all serve God in these various ways, don't we? I mean, some of you serve God through the making of pies and cakes. Some of you serve God through, through singing. Some of you serve God through playing instruments. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. But none of that really matters apart from this love thing. You have to have love. And we all, because of the Spirit of the living God poured into us, have the opportunity to love. We all have the privilege to be a part of life change. If the thing is of change all of us is the love of God expressed to us through the cross of Christ, then we need to understand that we have the same privilege and the same opportunity to love because of the spirit of Christ that is within us. We have the same opportunity to be a part of the change that God is bringing to this generation, to our generation right now. It's a matter of choice. I want to read you a little story about how one such choice can make such a difference. Now, some of you who are teachers have heard this story before. Uh, Kim looks over my sermon notes. She says, every teacher in the room has heard this story, James. She says, I promise you that. I said, well, not everybody in here is a teacher. All right? Jerry Moore is not a teacher. Kyle Sewell is not a teacher. 
We have not heard this story. When I read this story, it was brand new to me. So for most of us, it's brand new. Now, for you teachers, you just probably need to be reminded of it anyway, right? So just listen right along with me as I tell you the story about a man named Ted Stollard. Now, Ted Stollard undoubtedly, undoubtedly qualifies as one of the least when we talk about loving the least of these. He was turned off by school, very sloppy in appearance, expressionless, unattractive. Even his teacher, Miss Thompson, enjoyed bearing down her red pen as she placed X's beside his many wrong answers. Anybody ever have a teacher like that? All right. I won't tell you her name, but move along. If only she had studied his records more carefully, for they read, First grade, Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but has a poor home situation. Second grade, Ted could do better. His mother is seriously ill, receives little help from home. Third grade, Ted is a good boy, but too serious. He is a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Ted is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. Christmas arrived that year, and the children piled elaborately wrapped gifts on their teacher's desk. Ted brought one, too. It was wrapped in brown paper and held together with scotch tape. Miss Thompson opened each gift as the children gathered around to watch. And out of Ted's package fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The children began to snicker, but she silenced them by splashing some of the perfume on her wrist and letting them smell it. She put the bracelet on, too. At day's end, after the other children had left, Ted came by the teacher's desk and said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mama, and the bracelet looks real pretty on you. I'm glad you like my presence. And he left. Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her and to change her attitude. The next day, the children were greeted by a reformed teacher, one committed to loving each one of them, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, Ted began to show great improvement. He actually caught up with most of the students and even passed a few. Time came and went. Miss Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a long time. But then one day, she received this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university's not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. Another four years passed and another note came and it said, Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I'm Theodore. <clears throat> I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where mother would be and where she would sit if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Miss Thompson attended the wedding and sat where Ted's mother would have sat. The compassion she had shown that young man entitled her to that privilege. The real question is for us this morning is, will we have the courage to start giving to the least? Will we have our own Ted Stollards in our life? 
And even if that doesn't happen, will we be faithful to God, who has always treated us as unworthy as we are, like we are very special people? You see, we all have the opportunity. We all get to play a part. We all have the privilege to be a part of changing the world, really changing the world, not just beautifying the world, not just making it a prettier place, not just making it more tolerable, but change, real change that affects eternity. We all have that privilege. It's a matter of choice to depend on Christ to live his life in and through us. You see, in order to participate, we have to decide that we really believe that love is supreme. We must pray and commit ourselves and our lives to God. In John chapter 13, Jesus is nearing the end of his life. He's gathered all of his disciples together, the men that he has traveled with for three years. And he does something very unusual, which shocked every person in the room. He wrapped a towel around his waist and took a basin of water and went to each man and washed his feet. And the thing which shocked them about that was this. That was the job of the lowliest servant in the house. And as Jesus did this, he said these words to them. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. You see, being a part of the opportunity to love and see the world change means that we choose to serve. It means that we serve and let nothing be considered beneath us. That we sacrifice without limit. That we die to self and live for Christ so that we might love as he loves and be a part of what he does. That's the privilege. When we look at this passage of scripture, we need to understand this is a call to be like Christ. And an opportunity to live like him. And a privilege to be a part of his life-changing spirit and life in the world around us. See, Christianity is not head knowledge. As Protestants, we make everything about what we know. So much so that it, it, it drives me crazy sometimes because worship becomes about head knowledge rather than about him. You see, it's not about what I teach you this morning. It's about what the Spirit of God is doing to wrestle with your soul this morning as we open and worship God in His Word. See, we worship God in song, not just to sing pretty songs or to hear pretty instrumentalists play. We, we, are, we are lifting up our voices to honor Him. When we pray, we are praying our worship to God and acknowledging His existence and acknowledging the reality of Him in our life. Yes. You see, it's much more than what we know. It's about our attitude and our actions. It's about who we are as Christ produces in us his life and allows us the privilege to walk with him. The question is, will you do it? As I said moments ago, John 13, 35 says, Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciple. It begs the question, is our love for God and one another and the world around us such that the world is convinced that we are disciples of Christ? Gandhi once said these words. He says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And you know what? The world is saying the same thing about us today. It is. Not just the world, but the United States. The people of this country, many of the Christians in Bedford. Us. And not only that, but the people of Bedford might say the same thing about many of the Christians in Bedford because we don't love. 
We're not known by our love. By our sacrificial death to self, life in Christ, service kind of love. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says, Don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. There's a great power in love to change others, but there's also a great power in love to change us. As we are faithful to obey Christ and begin to follow Him and to walk in the Spirit, as we begin to love and make the matter of the will a choice to do so, even those who are unlovable and unlikable, God begins to change our heart and make us different. Because see, some of you this morning are saying, I want to love, but there are some people I cannot love. There are some people who are difficult to love. There are some people that that are just flat impossible and I can't imagine ever loving. And yet God has called us to love just as he called us to forgive last week. And it is beyond you to do so. But in Christ we can. God taught me this lesson a long time ago. It's kind of funny how it happened. I was in high school. And there was a girl in our youth group who I could not stand. Now, some of you may be shocked that your pastor would ever think such a thing about someone. I'm sure it hasn't happened since then, all right? And I was just a young man at the time, right? We encounter those kind of people, don't we? I stand this girl. She was very active in our youth group. Her family was very active in our church. My family was very active. I was very active. I, I just didn't like her. And it wasn't because of anything in particular. You know, you say it was personality thing or something. I don't know, but I was just like, this girl drives me crazy, man. And somewhere along the way, I heard a sermon or a teaching or something. And so I decided, okay, God, I'll do this. And here's what God impressed upon me to do. He said, I want you to begin to pray every day for her. I said, all right, I'll do that. So I began to pray every day. I began to pray for her every day. You know, it didn't take long that my heart toward her started to change. It didn't take long at all that the things that she did that irritated me no longer irritated me. It didn't take very long before I started liking her. Now, this is not a story where I ended up dating her, so don't think I'm going there with this, okay? No, it, it was just that I became really good friends with her. I no longer had a problem. God took it all away. You see, when we make a choice as a matter of our will to obey Christ and to do what he's called us to do, and we die to ourselves and begin to live in the power of the Holy Spirit of a living God who is within us, who moves within us to do as he promised, to will and to act according to his good pleasure. You see, I had a will to love her because God put that will within me. That didn't come from me. I promise you this. And because of that will that he put within me and the choice to follow after the will God was putting in my heart, he then went to work upon me. And the Holy Spirit went to work upon me so that I began to act in accordance with what that willful choice was. And God began to change me. And I was a different person. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. 
And let me tell you, there have been times in the pastorate I've had to do that again. Because there'll be somebody coming to the church that's hard to love. Now, I'm not looking at any of you in particular when I say that, all right? But I have to step back and I have to say, okay, I'm going to pray. And inevitably, God begins to change who I am. And oftentimes, who they are as well. We have been given a privilege to be a part of God's life change, so to speak. And that's an overused and abused term nowadays in churches. But we have been privileged with the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in the world around us. And it is a supernatural work. The question is, is will we choose as a matter of our will to follow after what God has said? These upcoming weeks will be a challenge in that. But the first thing that we have to understand is that it's necessary. And that's what today is about. And my question for you this morning is, will you take the opportunity that is given to you in this moment to say, God, I, as a matter of my will, because you have put it into my heart, choose to make love supreme. I choose now, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, to follow you, to love the unlovable, to always love, to love as Christ loved us, to sacrificially love and see nothing beneath me, to sacrificially love and see no limits to what I am called to do in accordance with what love is. Will you do that this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for your great love demonstrated to us on the cross. And Father, this morning we ask that your Holy Spirit would meet today and in the weeks ahead. And Father, if there is any part of us that in which we have withheld love, that both today and in the weeks ahead you, ahead you will demonstrate that to us, convict us of such, and that, Lord Jesus, we would repent of sin and that we would, Lord, allow your life to be lived in us and through us so that we might love in accordance with your will and purpose for our life. Father, this morning I pray that all of us together might say that love is supreme, love is the priority, love is most important. And may all of us today leave here choosing to love as you love. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.